Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Eric Stewart from the Bad Rhino Local Podcast, and today I'm joined with Kevin Bolin, who is the founder of Scapes. How you doing, Kevin? Good, Eric. How you doing, brother? Thanks for having us on today. It's good to have you on, man. And um, yeah, I'm excited to dive into this. We first met at a Westchester Chamber event, just talking a little bit about what you guys do. But um, Kevin, let's kick it off. Tell our listeners more about Scapes and what you guys do over there. Yeah, for sure. So Scapes, we are a um, remote-based landscape design service provider um, in a nutshell. So kind of dabbling in that that e-commerce realm, kind of something that's newer to the market. Um, really, uh, the, the COVID times, 2020, really drove the capability for kind of the world to, to be comfortable working remotely or operating with service providers even remotely. Um, so we took that and said, hey, we can, we can do landscape designs remotely. Uh, so there's a handful of us that are doing it kind of throughout the country on any kind of reasonable scale. Uh, we've pivoted, shifted, morphed over, over the last few years since we started, and now we predominantly work with landscape contractors um, as their outsourced kind of managed service provider, uh, so to speak, as um, for landscape designs. Uh, so again, kind of covering uh, the eastern half of the country with them, still doing some direct-to-consumer stuff with homeowners, um, and, uh, and that's kind of all throughout the country. So it was pretty cool. Uh, been a really fun journey, man. We went from, we're contractors by trade. If you can't, can't tell by how I talk probably, but, um, <laughs> we're, uh, we're landscapers at heart. That's what we, it's what we started out doing. Um, there's, so when I say us, there's myself, counterpart, Josh Danae, he, um, him and I run the business kind of day to day. Um, he's on the operations side. I'm more on the, the sales account management, working, working with customers, but so from that regard, we divide and conquer. Uh, but again, both landscapers, we went from literally overnight in 2019 and of 2019 into 2020 uh, from working in like a 20 mile radius to, uh, you know, to, to a national national level. And I guess technically even international now with Canada uh, doing some work in Canada. So, so again, man, just a really fun journey. Um, learned a lot along the way here. So we're, getting, we're, we're covering a pretty big geographic footprint with where our customers are based. We also have um, uh, our teams with internally who, who, we're, who we're using to, to help us grow and build and, and execute our deliverables to our customers is, is also internationally based. Um, and that's, uh, that's been another really um, uh, interesting endeavor, I guess, uh, with its own set of challenges. And, uh, but again, fast forward to, uh, to where we are today on this call and um, have a sustainable businessman. That's about all we can ask for, right? Pay some bills and uh, get on and, and, and talk about it on, on some podcasts with, with dudes like you. So it's, uh, Definitely. it's all good, man. Definitely. And, um, dude, let's, um, Kevin, let's throw it all the way back. It's something I like doing kind of all this podcast and talking about the journey of like how you got to where you are today. And I was just looking at what you have going on back in 2016. You started at a law care company. Um, I think doing like an account executive type of role there. Um, but what really from that point on made you push to kind of start your own thing? Yeah, so that was uh, good homework. Um, that was actually post college, so 2016. I just graduated um, from from Penn State. Actually, that's where Josh and I met, um, and uh, uh, that's really where our relationships are. Friends at first, right? Um, and but even before that, I think if uh, I've always been in the landscaping industry, sometimes you tell people it's about all we're good for. Like, ask me, you know, something about plumbing. I don't know anything. You know, uh, marketing like you guys do. I don't know anything. We know what we're good at, and, and that's landscaping. Um, but how we got into that for Josh and I, it's the same story, man. Like we were mowing lawns and uh, neighborhood type stuff and just looking, looking to make a buck. Um, 
for some fun money growing up. Uh, I tell people like, it's the honest goodness truth, man. I just wanted to, I started mowing lawns. I just wanted a go-kart. Um, I was 12 years old and thought, thought that uh, a go-kart was the coolest thing in the world. And my dad had just gotten a new shed in their space and I wanted to put the, the go-kart in the shed, man. That was, that was my dream. And, you know, fast forward, whatever, 15, 16 years later, and I still don't have that go-kart. So I'm still in landscaping uh, because of that. <laughs> but no, it's uh, mowing lawns, went and got the, you know, went the, the degree route, man, and, and went to and got, got a uh, degree in landscape contracting was the name of the program. So bachelor's degree and a really cool program at Penn State. A little plug for them, man. They've been hurting for collectively. The industry has kind of been hurting for enrollment. So really great program for anybody out there that might be listening or has a, has a kid maybe that's, uh, that's growing up and um, it's a, a really cool program. It's not landscape architecture, so it's a little bit different path. Um, you get a little bit more horticulture, um, plant-based knowledge. You get a lot more business-oriented classes um, in addition to the, the design uh, design studio type of work with a lot of what is now computer, computer, even even in the since 2016, it's a lot more computer stuff than what we were dealing with back then. But um, So yeah, great program, man. That's where Josh and I met. Spent a couple years, like you saw, with a company called Landcare. Great experience with them. They are a uh, kind of a national conglomerate, you know, four, four or 5,000 employees, um, 50, 60 locations throughout the country. And, and you know, got lucky enough to, uh, to land a pretty sweet gig in, in account management and business development with them. Um, so I had, uh, you know, through college, I had actually operated my own landscape uh, design build company and maintenance. So I went from residential maintenance and design build to commercial landscape maintenance with Landcare, um, and that had kind of like completed my little journey in the industry, at least with exposure to um, the big elements of of the landscape trades, being residential design build, residential maintenance, and commercial maintenance. Um, so again, that all those experiences kind of converged, and uh, more recently, three years ago, uh, saw an opportunity. Um, really solving a lot of the pains that we had experienced in the industry, a lot of what my friends had experienced, a lot of landscape business owners, um, and and started with the the design business, which had kind of already been in play to begin with. I was already designing for for a handful of of contractors local to the Westchester market, um, just just as they saw what I was doing um, with some design work. So we had a little bit of a foundation there that we were able to play with some stuff and. Um, and then again, went, went fully live. So I, to answer it's a long way to answer your question, but, um, the, the answer to that is, uh, always kind of like had that, um, I don't necessarily always love the word entrepreneur. I think that gets thrown around loosely a lot, but always had that, that drive to, to solve problems and turn them into businesses and pretty passionate about, uh, not only the business like function that we do with the services and the deliverables, um, but also like building a brand and, and taking that, uh, creating, creating an actual business out of it. There's a lot of, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And again, we've, we've spun that now into, um, a few different other business ventures that we have, um, like in development and beta testing right now that we're getting ready to launch for, for the end of the year here. So it's, again, it's, it just keeps being like an evolving transition that, that keeps morphing. And, and that's every time we pivot like that or, or launch another entire new initiative, it's just solving another problem that we hear about day in and day out. So uh, that's the crux of it. That's the, the root is uh, solving problems, man, making people's lives a little bit easier. This business has been our way of uh, kind of giving back to the landscape industry. Um, this business is built on volume. 
I just got off the phone with a customer earlier today, actually asking about, we get asked all the time from our customers being contractors about the, the state of the market, the health of the industry, some macroeconomic type questions, what we're seeing. And um, he was asking a little bit more specifically about our business and trying to understand that, which is interesting. We don't get like customers asking about our business a whole lot on that level, you know, Um, which can kind of, at first, sometimes it feels a little bit awkward. And then, but we're always, we always operate like open book, man. Anything you want to know, well, we don't have to have anything to hide. And um, I was kind of explaining to him that like we built scapes uh, was built for volume. So we need a lot of volume. Um, And we're kind of at that point where uh, we're fortunate enough, again, sitting here closing out quarter three to be at where we project it for the year. Um, I know, you know, some, particularly in the service-based industries, it's slowed down a little bit compared to the last few years. It's, uh, we tell people it's slower, it's not slow compared to a, a, you know, traditional market conditions pre-COVID. Um, slower than the last few years, but not slow pre-COVID. So, um, gotcha. but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's been cool. Just solving problems and making businesses out of it with different, different strategies and, um, but it all it all kind of started and continues to evolve around around scapes the the landscape design business. So that's what's yeah, given yeah. us given us the exposure, I guess, um, and uh, to to our customer base to allow us to be in a position to solve even more problems now than what we had set out to do with just landscape design. So yeah, solving problems and then the cool story about the go kart too. And it's funny when I talk to people that own business, there's always something weird that motivates them. It could be they just had a child and they want to start their own business to just be financially stable, right? For you, it's funny to hear it was a go kart that started yeah. that whole push for you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but to, you know, to each their own, man. Yeah, I haven't gotten the go kart, but I have gotten a race car. So I do some racing. That's my hobby, and that's a great point, man, about like what drives people. I I, I briefly hit on that I don't necessarily love the the term or word entrepreneur. Um, I feel like uh, a lot of people like slap that title on themselves a lot of times, and uh, it's just thrown around real loosely now. But um, for me, it's not necessarily like I enjoy like building businesses and solving problems for customers and providing a high level of service and quality deliverables, all that stuff. Um, day in and day out, like my work day, that's what I'm passionate about. But when I go to sleep at night, that's not what drives me. That's not what motivates me to continue to do that stuff. Right. Um, it's not the money, uh, either, because again, like that's the conversation I had with one of our customers earlier. It's like, we're built on volume, man. Like while we're building this business, like every dollar that we can, that doesn't pay directly pay one of our own bills that we need to live on pretty much goes right back into the businesses that we're building and reinvest and, um, to keep growing, but that growth is fueled by, for me, uh, things like my hobbies, which are, you know, racing is one of them, which um, does take quite a bit of money and we have to get creative at times for, for how we do that. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's cool, man. That's, that's something you don't hear a lot of people talking about, right? Like it's not super sexy and it's not the stuff that uh, necessarily sells more at work, right? Like somebody's not going <laughs> to listen to this right now and call us up because, uh, you know, they want to help me in, in support my racing, right? Like that, they don't go together and they don't, it doesn't mean anything to our customers, but what it does mean is that that's what drives me to operate a successful business. And that is in turn what, uh, you know, lends itself to having the, the type of processes and procedures that we have in place and relentless, you know, unrelenting quality and, and efficiency and all those, all those things that our customers do see and the things that do drive uh, their value uh, from us. So, Right, yeah, and it's, it goes, and it's it real too, hand. right? It's 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 a real thing, right? I mean, business owners like they know, they understand it, like the goals that people have, and we're going to talk about um, 
one of the companies that you're starting to develop in the motorsports industry and a little bit later on. But let's um, talk about Scapes a little bit more. And one question I have specifically is, um, who was it really made for? And I know you hit on this a little bit. Um, is it the residential side, commercial side, or is it like kind of both? Or how does that whole process work? Yeah, I, the short answer is both. Uh, the overwhelming majority of our revenue and design volume comes from contractors. Uh, that's our core. It's the recurring revenue, right? Like, so from a business sustainability standpoint, um, we, I would be careful about saying prefer that, but that's, that's what we focused on more the last couple of years. So in 2020, we started when we, we went full live, um, to the market with it, we went direct to consumer. So we spent um, a lot of time and money trying to target homeowners directly. Um, what we realized is we, uh, it was going, the customer acquisition cost was too high for us to, to scale on, um, at least at the rate we, we kind of knew we wanted to scale to, um, really to keep our price points in check, right? Like, so every business has, you know, overhead expenses. So to, to offset those overheads and get to the point, we needed to hit a plateau very quickly. And we just weren't reaching that plateau quick enough with, uh, with marketing to homeowners. Um, so we, we were able to pivot, thankfully, um, and turn right back to, uh, to landscape contractors, um, who we already knew we were already comfortable with. That was always in, it was kind of like a card in our back pocket that we knew we might have to play pretty quickly. And we, we ended up having to play it. So, um, but that's, you know, again, through, through the end of this year, it will continue the focus will continue to be on contractors, but it's not to say that, um, the homeowner business has slowed down. It actually really hasn't. It's held pretty steady. It's just as a volume in relation to, to the overall scale of our company, it's, it's shrunk. Um, but yeah, so both, but again, contract landscapers make up make up the uh, the majority of our day to day. So, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, just looking at your price point and like knowing how digital marketing works and all that, I could only imagine like your acquisition cost is probably more than like the ad spend that you're actually running. So, I think yeah. it's a good pivot to just focus on like the landscapers and go that route for sure. Yeah, and then you know you hear people talk about bootstrapping and like we were able to just right. dumb it down to uh, like reaching out to people we already know. Uh, yep. and Give got, people, pick up the phone and call them, right? Yeah, business got, <laughs> got real simple real quick. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area, Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing with tailored digital marketing services. From social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit BadRhinoInc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. Well, let's talk about your three packages. You got the photorealistic, you got the uh, lifelike rendering, and then you got the reserve collection. So can you hit yeah. on each of those three real quick? Yeah, so our lowest cost entry design package is the photorealistic. And that's been around for a while in the industry but the industry has actually kind of moved away from it. You won't actually see uh, see that in the marketplace a whole lot anymore. We find a tremendous amount of value in it uh, because it, it allows uh, not only us, but allows our customers to have a really attainable um, design, deliverable, prepared at a, at a very, very reasonable price point. So those start at 149, um, but they are essentially just uh, like a picture. So you would take a picture of the front of your house, send it to me, and we start tweaking it and marking it up with plants and it's essentially Photoshop at its core. Mm -hmm. Um, but like with, with a plant spin on it. So 
um, really efficient manner for us to design in and a really good fit for what we would call like small scale landscape projects. So little landscape renovations. If you have a new home, you have a completely blank slate. That's ideal. We can start overlaying plants in there, get you where you want to go again at a, at a very, very low cost route. So that's the photorealistic good fits for, again, small scale landscape renovations, new installs on, on new homes or, or whatever the case may be landscape specific though. Um, the lifelike renderings, that's by far our most popular design option and kind of has been just with what's going on in the market the last few years, a lot, uh, you know, people a lot more comfortable investing in larger scale outdoor living spaces. That's where the 3D lifelike rendering shines. So that's what they are, true 3D custom modeling. Um, we use a few different programs. Most of what we use is landscape industry specific, helps us again from an efficiency standpoint, efficiency from uh, from our in our business model, when when our customers hear us start saying efficiency, that just means cost savings. Like the faster we can do something, right? The yep. the lower lower the cost we can do. So again, there's there's some really good programs out there that we use um, in, in the 3D world to generate um, some really high quality uh, 3D visualizations that are we call them concept rendering. There's some verbiage we lean on where it's you know. If you're looking for like where each nail is going to go in like a, a porch, it's, it's not going to show you that, right? But concept renderings, man, is, is really uh, what we're after there to, to bring something to life in a 3D realm um, that otherwise, uh, otherwise wouldn't exist um, from tr- more traditional design methods. So that's the 3D stuff. And then the traditional design methods that I just referenced, that's what we call bird's eye view. Um, so that's just a slightly more modern spin on what the traditional blueprint looks like, right? So we're able to, to again, a little bit more efficiently because we can do them on the computer now, add a little bit more detail um, to what is, uh, you know, what would, would have, uh, again, historically been, been drafted by hand, right, on, uh, on paper. So, so those are kind of the three, the three methods. Photorealistic, quick picture, we mock up the, make some edits on the picture, um, that's the photorealistic, the lowest price point. The 3D is our lifelike renderings, most most popular by far, better fit for outdoor living projects, pretty much anytime hardscaping, patios, walkways get involved, or any kind of structures with kitchens, pools, decks, whatever it might be. That's that's where they really shine. The bird's eye view, that's a good fit for somebody that, that maybe wants to just dip their toes in a project, see, uh, start the process, uh, maybe doesn't, doesn't want to fully invest in the 3D rendering for whatever reason. Maybe they don't want to have it built yet or or maybe they, maybe they don't need it for, for the size and scope of their project. They don't need that visualization. Um, that's where the bird's eye view. Uh, they're, they're more or less the entire industry is kind of moving away from that. We still make it available. Not very popular option, but it does get purchased from time to time. So we, we make it available still. So. Might as well. And then um, I saw you guys use some like AI of like, I have an Oculus at home. You know, I play around on there too. How much of like, the new tech are you guys implementing in your business? Because I'm sure it's like a yeah. ton of it. Sorry, I overlooked one of them. The reserve collection that you asked yeah. about. So that's the virtual reality stuff. Um, we, uh, between the virtual reality and AI, dabble a lot within it. So we actually started working with an AI consultant. I'm going to go two different directions here. We actually started working with an AI consultant um, in at the end of last calendar year into this year, just trying to make sure that we're doing everything we can to, um, to stay up to date. Because uh, we know that when that, it could potentially be a switch that is flipped. And we don't want to be, we don't want the lights to go off on our business because we weren't paying attention to AI. And oh my goodness, uh, all landscape designers are replaced now because this technology is able to do it. Um, 
for real high level, we do feel like it will get there. The capability to do that is here now. Like the AI conversation isn't something that that is like uh, future tense, man. It's not something that's coming. It's here. Like, uh, and it's just a matter of training training the computers to do it. So that's as far as we've gotten, and really where we're we're kind of sitting and holding. We're in a waiting pattern right now. On um, we don't have the resources particularly financial resources mainly um, to throw at uh, an endeavor like that without seeing kind of how the market's going to bear it. That's the only unknown right now is the technology is there for us. And again, not super popular to talk about, but in the landscape design world, we could be replaced tomorrow. And that's just the reality of it. Like again, the technology is there today. Um, So we're dabbling with it. Nobody has invested heavily in it that we know of yet. It will likely be driven by um, the big players in the overall AI game, um, you know, the Googles and the Meadows of the world, uh, seeing who, if they buy up any companies, will probably be the first trigger. So there's some stuff on our radar if they buy up like one of the landscape design companies that currently exist to develop 3D um, imagery, then then we'll really be put on notice. The entire industry will on, hey, this is uh, this is now become a reality um, that this is likely to happen. So. Yeah, there's some exciting things coming because I think from a design perspective, again, I briefly made the plug about Penn State. So uh, like why businesses, an underlying um, uh, opportunity that allowed us to scale scapes um, as a as a remote based landscape design provider is the fact that enrollment in professional degrees like Penn State's landscape contracting program have been declining for a number of years. And that decline, nobody's really been able to turn that around. It's kind it started to plateau a little bit, but plateau meaning like I think Josh and I, if, if I remember correctly, I remember I think we graduated with 12 kids in our class. Um, so and that's one of the bigger name universities with that program in the country. So um, that was 2016. So since then it's continued to decline again, may, maybe plateaued a little bit, but that directly played a hand in the demand for or opportunities for businesses like ours, right? Because now we have an alternate means to solve the problem for businesses, which one of the problems is sourcing designers because of the lack of enrollment, right? So you don't have, um, you don't have these people, people, enough people to fill, fill the jobs that are out there in the market. Um, so again, that was a good thing for our business, bad thing for the industry, but good thing for us because we were able to solve that problem. Um, the What that means, though, is that as that continues, and if more people don't um, pursue professions like landscape design, we won't really have a solution anymore besides pursuing investments in technology like AI. Uh, so that's just that's just the reality of it, man. Like there there if if people don't get interested in it, then it forces the hand of AI. And there's that, that's where a lot of the conversation is going right now um, within the industry, the limited conversation that is happening. We wish, I'm glad you brought it up. I appreciate that because I wish we were able to to establish more dialogue around what is actually going on. And, and you know, it's easy to cry foul of stop AI, but to be able to stop it, we need to look at what are some of the underlying issues that are even allowing AI to, to um have a realistic opportunity to, to build a home um, within an industry like landscape design. And that the root of that is really tied to lack of, you know, uh, lack of interest really in pursuing, pursuing some of these, these uh, professions. So 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, don't have any, I don't have any solution for that other than just bringing attention to it right now on a podcast like this as much as we can, you know, and telling yeah. people that hey, it is a legitimate profession and, and it is something worth considering. But at the end of the day, if enough people don't consider it um, in that manner or, or take the step to pursue it as a career, then then AI will uh, will take over. It'll be a really interesting journey to see um, how well it's received within the industry, how much of that is driven by consumer demand, right? With, uh, cause our customer, whether, you know, whether we work directly with the homeowner direct to consumer or through our contractor network, it's all serving the same end user as the homeowner right. and how much of that are, are they wanting, right? Uh, cause the, the, the real, um, from an end user standpoint, the real value from AI, it's even, it seems like it's, uh, it's something that you would think that maybe would be one of the one of the things to be slow impacted slower by automation, right? Like the design process is kind of highly subjective, right? The creativity element of it, like how can a computer do that? But the thing that we've learned is that you can, yes, it is extremely difficult and will always be to get a computer to understand what you're envisioning. But the computer can generate hundreds or thousands of scenarios uh, and design layouts within a matter of seconds. What would take us, you know, it's not even, not even realistic for a human to compete with that. And if you were able to pull elements that you like from each one and tell the computer that I like this, I like this, I like this. And then from this one, and then you're able to, to merge it all into one model. That's where it seems like it's most likely to go. Um, and again, it'll be, it'll really just be who throws a ton of money at it first and how well do, <laughs> how, how much do consumers like it? Um, and that'll, that'll drive where guys like us have to have to pivot and respond and figure out, um, how to integrate that. So, but yeah, super I think, interesting. I think at the end of the day, right. Cause there's a lot of AI that goes into like digital marketing too, as well. And you kind of see the trends as we kind of move forward through like ChatGPT and then other video editing software too, that we have out there. But I think at the end of the day, when it comes to reaching out to someone that needs has a specific pain point or has a specific problem, they're always going to want that human interaction part of it, um, whether it's to get help with how they want something to look or whether it's to get help and just talk to someone of how to use AI more effectively, right? So I don't think like the human-to-human interaction will ever be like truly gone, um, but it makes our jobs a lot easier in the fact that we can give a client or potential client a lot of options really quickly. Yeah. That's the truth, man. It is like, I'm glad to hear that perspective. That's where we're at right now, right? It's like adapt or die almost. You know, you have to, you can't ignore it. Like you can't stop short of like that perspective you have is, I would agree with all day is that the the business is is primarily rooted in a human element, you know? Yeah. Um, and we spend a lot of time with our contractor customers because, um, I mean, let's face it, man, right? Like service provider, business owners, particularly contractors aren't the best uh, personalities to work with at times, particularly in a sales relationship. And we cringe a lot when we, when we hear some of the ways our customers talk to some of their customers and there's what it is. Like we, we can only control so much of that, but we do spend a lot, a lot of time talking about particularly in design process that um, end users, consumers, they just want to be heard. Right. And that is the element that I think will allow us to continue to, um, outlast AI almost, right? Like that's what we're talking about. Like people want to be heard and listened to. And that is where the computer will always fall short. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it'll, it becomes that you mentioned robot, like it becomes that very, very, you know, we've all had, had those interactions with Siri, right? Like is, is a great <laughs> example or, or um, 
you know, whatever the Alexa, right, in your house is probably like, like look over my shoulder, probably listening to me right now and <laughs> going to hear me saying something bad about her. But, <laughs> but they don't listen great, right? Like they listen to like very transactional, like order me this or tell me the weather. But anything that, that takes a little bit like higher level thinking, like what you guys, like somebody trying to explain their business to a marketing agency, like, I mean, it's, it's totally out of mind, but there, I can see the parallel there, right? Like somebody trying to explain their backyard oasis to us is the equivalent of a business owner trying to explain to you what they, the value of their business and how they want to approach the market. And um, it's just conversations, right? That, that AI is, um, can it handle it? Probably. Will people be heard? No, right? Because at the end of the day, it's still a computer listening. And uh, it's not that that human-to-human interaction that, um, that's it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's as far as I'll probably take that. Cause that's, that's like a whole, we could, we could spend hours talking yeah, about that <laughs> hypothesizing and there's plenty, plenty of people out there, but that's all it is, man. If anybody claims to have an answer or, or projection, we, we hear, we listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, man. There's people right. saying all sorts of crazy things around AI out there, man. But all we know is how it fits into our, our business, our industry. And, um, we see both sides of the fence on that one where, no, it's not like Armageddon just yet where AI is going to replace us and what we do. But yes, we need to acknowledge it and we cannot ignore it because that technology legitimately is a legitimate solution and somebody will legitimize it even further with, with some serious investments in it. Once they, the computers start getting taught um, how to do some of these things and um, we just need to be on alert about it right now. So. Yeah, it should be interesting how it plays out. But let's um talk about your process to escapes and like when someone reaches out to you and they have a specific need or have a design, um, how long does it normally take for you guys to kind of turn that around? So we aim for less than two weeks every time. We aim for a one week turnaround. Um, smaller projects might even be a little bit faster than one week. Bigger projects when you start getting in pools and some crazy outdoor living spaces, um, we physically like literally might need enough hours in a day to deliver it in two weeks. So. Uh, but somewhere between that one week and two week turnaround time, uh, we try and make it as painless as possible. We do a lot with photos, a lot of, um, there's a lot of technology that we use behind the scenes. That's pretty cool, uh, that we can get a lot of information, aerial, uh, we used to say satellite imagery, but a lot of it's not satellites anymore. A lot of it's actually like planes flying around, taking imagery. There's, um, some drone imagery that we're able to tap into now. Um, to, it's like not necessarily marketed towards our industry. So, uh, we have a role in our business where, about 10 hours a week, uh, we have an individual, all they do is um, technology um, uh, integration is, is, is what we call the role, but it's basically just find new technology that's out there uh, and, and how we can integrate it into, a, into our business. So, so again, there's a lot. To, that's how we're able to operate remotely. Um, it's kind of, uh, if I showed you some stuff, man, it's kind of scary at a point what we can see, you know, with uh, it always, we, every time like we get into situations where we, we find a conversation around, it's like, man, like if we can get this, information like imagine what the government has access to yeah. you know but yeah but yeah man we, i mean i can tell you the 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 colors of the shutters on your house in 10 <laughs> seconds you know and uh it's it's amazingly accurate too so like it, it's funny but at the end of the day like we need it to be accurate and it is um so there's that technology we have another third-party app that we use it takes eight pictures proprietary they just last year got done raising like 400 some million seed fund uh, investment round backed by insurance companies predominantly. Uh, but we use it. We take eight pictures around the house or, or provided eight pictures around the house rather from either a contractor or end user, or the homeowner. Um, with those eight pictures, we get every measurement you could possibly imagine off the house down to the fraction quarter of an inch. So, 
Um, That's really, cool. really cool technology. And it starts to actually model, create the 3D model of the home. So it cuts out a lot of the legwork for us. That used to be the biggest hurdle is we can see a lot of this stuff, but I can only usually get accurate off satellite imagery or aerial imagery down to the whole inch, sometimes more like two or three inches, depending on what software we're using, which is still really accurate for most of what we do. But to have that down to the quarter inch, and once we have the house in place, everything else becomes accurate to that. So there's a lot of technology that's out there, man, that we use behind the scenes um, to make this stuff happen and make it make it really easy for, for our customer, again, whether that's a contractor or a homeowner. At its core, eight pictures, a virtual meeting, um, start getting getting the vision the vision down um, most of the time within you know in a half hour virtual meeting eight pictures we can get just about every project uh, where we want it to go collectively between uh, again the end user contractor and ourselves uh, and produce awesome. produce the design deliverable so it's become awesome. a very very easy and, and painless process so. that's awesome well this yeah. is um the bad rhino local podcast. So I do have to ask you about marketing, what you guys are doing um, in your marketing right now. I know you kind of hit it on it on a little bit, um, just kind of boots on the ground, bootstraps, just calling people and kind of going out there. But how are you guys getting more business? Yeah, so we're heavy. Probably the biggest channels are LinkedIn, so just reaching reaching out to people because that's where business owners are most active. And then Facebook groups would be probably the, the second biggest Flip a coin, actually, maybe recently on which one's bigger, but um, but those are pretty big. We might we might need some help from uh, from you guys. Actually, we got our Facebook account got hacked uh, for the business page, and that's been like a four month process now to try and get that back. So that was bringing in a fair amount of like direct. When we talk about like homeowners, direct to consumer business, that was bringing in a fair amount. Um, but yeah, outside of that, it's um, it's it's limited advertising and marketing initiatives right now. Some of that is also driven by like we've we've maintained the trajectory. We've, we've hit kind of budget numbers where we want it to be to this point in the year. It's afforded us the ability to fast track some of these other business initiatives that we're working on, spinoffs, um, and that's just tied up tied up some of our attention. But yeah, we'll be hitting you guys up for yeah, uh, for, for sure, man, for a little little meeting. No, it's a good place to be, though, in your business where like you can kind of sit back and just kind of let whatever you already have set up there kind of work its magic, especially if you're hitting your numbers. Yeah, dude, I got to be honest with you. For the, when we realized that, it like the anxiety started to creep in, like right? Because you feel like, man, we're not working as much. Like yeah. it doesn't feel yeah. like we're working as much. But um, again, like when the budget doesn't lie, and certainly the bank accounts don't lie, when there's enough money to again pay pay what we need to pay, and. Um, we're not having to work as much to do it. That was a super cool transition to go through this last year. Um, again, it's it's allowed us to, it's what has allowed us to not only fast track these initiatives, but find the opportunities to, to spin off some of these other businesses and solve some other problems like we talked about. So. Awesome. Let's, um, let's talk about one of the businesses that you're starting up here because I was doing some research on you and I, I saw it on your LinkedIn profile, Madman Motorsports. Yeah, man. <laughs> talk to me about that, man. So that was born out of pure frustration of watching. Uh, so you go to local racetracks, right? And like there are literally tens of thousands of them throughout the country. Um, super cool vibe for, for what it's worth. If anybody ever like uh, is looking for something to do on a Friday or Saturday night, like look up your local racetrack, man. There are a lot of them out there and it's a really cool community. Really good time. Family friendly events. But in the in the racing community, you have like NASCAR, Formula One, IndyCar, right? And then there's a pretty big gap. Uh, there's not a whole lot in between that and your local short track scenes. And if you spend time around local short track racers, 
a lot of the communication and the rhetoric that you'll hear is frustration around there's no money in racing anymore, right? So like I had heard this for a lot of years and I was always a race fan growing up, super passionate race fan. Like I would watch anything and everything that I could, um, you know, on any given night of the week, I was watching some form of racing. Um, and I constantly had heard this. So it kind of deterred me from, I just started racing a couple of years ago. So I am an extremely late bloomer in the racing world. Like that, I am ancient to start racing at whatever it was, 20, 27, 28. That is ancient in the racing world. Um, most, most, of the, most kids now are starting at, you know, four or five, six years old, getting in a go-kart. So um, I didn't have, uh, have that opportunity. Um, so, you know, I had to, to, again, wait until I felt like I had enough financial resources to do something in racing. And again, probably was deterred another year or two just because of like hearing that constantly that there's no money in racing, no money in motorsports. And um, but when he looked at it, like NASCAR, Formula One, IndyCar, they're not having any problems, right? Like those teams aren't shuttering. There's some dialogue there too, but it, for all things, all, all intents and purposes, right? Like they're still operating. There's still a lot of money there. Um, and, and then I looked at like the local racers and the more interaction around like the local racetrack scenes it really just boiled down to like who, and it's not a shot at local racers. It's just, just a nature. That's just a human nature of like who they are and what their day to day looks like. They're spending so much time working on the cars and not enough time working on bringing in revenue to support their, their racing activities. And it is expensive hobby, man. Um, if you don't have any kind of financial backing from sponsors. So, uh, but you, you would hear these sound bites. And then when you start asking the questions, there's, you know, it, you take a little bit deeper dive. The next comments that you're likely to hear are there's no sponsors anymore or sponsors don't want to spend the money or something along those lines. Right. But if you ask those same people, the question of like, how many sponsors did you read out to? How many prospective uh, sponsors did you actually contact? I would wager bet that the overwhelming majority of them would less than 10, you know, and <laughs> nine of those 10 are probably like family and friends that own businesses or, or have, have a friend of a friend that owns a business. Right. So, um, so that's really what we looked at with Madman and said, all right, hang on, man. Like there's gotta be a better way to go about this. Um, so we put a quick brand together for it and, uh, we are still like navigating the waters of like, where is the best value add content? So it's content focused strategy to um, attracting sponsors, right? So we're not just like printing up some t-shirts and going to a pot potential sponsor and saying, hey, we'll put your sticker on the car, right? Because nobody cares about that anymore, man. Like there's just the fact of the matter is that's not where businesses are spending money. And that's what I know as a business owner who I don't even sponsor myself in racing because I know that's not my audience, you know? Right. So, uh, and traditionally like landscape companies and stuff are big players in, in local racetrack scenes. But again, we, we just looked at it through a little bit different lens and said, Hey man, if we can focus more on content creation, engage people in a little bit different manner than trying to do it at the racetrack, um, then we probably can, can leverage that into allowing ourselves to be in a little bit better position um, in the racing community. And then over the last year, man, again, it's continued to morph. We're dabbling in some stuff with video content and um, we're actually getting into apparel for next year, which has been a totally insane initiative, like trying to negotiate, um, you know, like apparel contracts, right? Like, dude, come on, man. Like I'm used to buying shovels and rakes and maybe like a truck or a skid or something, but, but like apparel and like designing the apparel. So that's been a totally crazy world. We feel like that's, um, the best approach we have right now to actually raise some money and, and gain a following. That's what it's all about is, uh, is gaining the following. Um, so we did the video. We started with that. That was fairly successful. We just did a, like a pilot real quick, low cost 
simple video, man. Um, collectively across the platforms got like a million views in the first month, um, which was like it greatly su- exceeded what we ever could have expected. Um, but what we were not prepared for was to like leverage that into anything. <laughs> so yeah. it was totally just a pilot. Like we were like, dude, 50,000 views. If we can get to 50,000, that's like proof of concept and we'll continue to develop this, you know, more content based strategy. But, um, but yeah, so we did that, had no plan in place, man. And, and have like completely sat on that now. Uh, but the, we have a couple plans for more videos for next year and the apparel, um, and we're getting into things like sponsoring some iRacing stuff. Again, big uh, in the virtual virtual gaming world. There's a lot of crossover between that and and real life racing. Um, yeah. So we're we're just doing anything we can to to build brand um, awareness. And the in and of itself, things like the apparel transactions will will be able to support some of the racing initiatives because now there's a lot more people involved too. Of course, like as you build relationships, it's like oh man, like that dude is is is. Uh, kicking my butt every week in the race car. And like, he's a really good teammate, right? So we have like a team, he's a really good teammate. And now I want to help that kid because that kid doesn't have any sponsorship money. So it's, it's rapidly morphed into something that was more like a hobby. Like, Hey, if I can get, go from racing 10 races a year to 20 races a year and get that paid for through, you know, the Madman Motorsports initiatives, that's where that started. And now it's kind of, you know, through the nature of, of business, uh, I guess, treating it more like a business and trying to help other people out and trying to think of ways we can get more creative and doing things like apparel and, um, some more video series. And, uh, but yeah, man, totally just another one, just a wild ride. Uh, did never thought that like, we'd be, we'd be making like YouTube videos and, uh, you know, content like that or, or branding apparel and, and totally, you know, going into like custom, custom apparel and, uh, negotiating contracts again, all throughout the world to try and make that stuff happen. And where the heck are we going to get cardboard boxes is like the next one we have. And just to like ship stuff. Yeah. It's just crazy, <laughs> crazy, man. Like all that, all that just to like go drive a race car for a couple hours on a weekend, you know, uh, you know, a couple dozen times throughout the year, but, uh, but yeah, super cool. And, and in all seriousness, we are trying to like with spin that brand pivot a little bit more into, um, I realized like, I don't, I'm not, I guess inherently not very selfish. So I realized pretty quickly that there are really good people in the short track racing, short, uh, local track racing community. Um, and we have a shot here to, to help as many of them as we can. So that's really what we're focused on is, um, and that's the, uh, another like interesting learning experience is trying to figure out who are we going to help? We want to help everybody, right? But we can't. So we have to, we have to figure out a way to, um, to, to pick a a few people to bring, bring along for the ride to start with at least and, and try and get them some funding to keep their racing careers going. A lot of it is like a really weird transition to man going through like going through my twenties now and where I was five years ago, my perspective on life and business and where I'm at now has changed pretty rapidly. And now it's more of like, Hey, the realization has come that my time and my shot at like driving a race car professionally, at least at a high level has probably passed. And uh, if I want to make any kind of impact in, in the racing world, it's not going to be behind the steering wheel. It's, it's more than likely to be supporting other younger drivers who are up and coming. And, and again, that's just the reality of the situation, man, at, at, Late twenties, opportunities going, man. It's you got to you got to be you know sixteen to, to twenty basically, and and that's where we've we've made some really cool relationships and and uh, have some really good friends now that are are in that age bracket that that are just really wicked race car drivers that 
that I would love to, if we could just be a small, uh, small little support system for them to help give them that little nudge into to getting getting a little bit more recognized and. Um, but that's yeah, awesome. man, that's that's what that's what that one's all about. That's what racing is anymore, man. You 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 got to bring the money. So yep. one way or another, it's got to come from your own pockets or it's got to come from somebody else's. So we're gonna help try and help them bring the money. So. Love it. Well, hats off to you, Kevin, for doing something that you're passionate about too there on that side of it. And um, Kevin, I wanted to kind of shout out because we first originally met at the Westchester Chamber event um, back a couple months ago. And I just wanted to give you the time to talk about what it's like networking in Westchester and kind of in the community around us. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Westchester Chamber of Commerce, again, for local business owners, if they're not involved and have to be listening to this, it's a great organization. Um now, I don't, I don't like to throw around like, like low cost, but like for the cost, for what it, what it, it, it costs out of our pocket to be a part of that organization, the value that's returned to us is phenomenal. Um, Katie and her team just do a tremendous job with um, not only like big events that you know are coming throughout the year, but the monthly opportunities to get involved are huge. And we made that pretty clear when we joined, joined the organization. Like we were in the frame of mind that we don't want any bit, like we weren't, we didn't go in with the intent of getting business out. Right. And, um, I don't think we actually have gotten any business out, but the, the, that's not the value to us. For me, I live in Westchester. Um, and I live in like a, a little bit of a, uh, not a weird community, but there's just not a lot of neighbors around me. Like I don't, I lived in town for a year, which was awesome. Fantastic. Like wouldn't trade that for anything. Uh, but being a little bit like a mile and a half outside of town now, just a little, little community. Um, and there's, I, I don't, we don't have that sense of community. So like to be able to participate in an organization like the chamber, um, and interact with, with guys like yourself and, and guys and gals from, from all over the area that either have businesses in the area or working in businesses in the area is super cool. It gives like some kind of sense of community back. And um, I think maybe we've lost like as a society in some regards too, but <laughs> But yeah, man, being able to to go around, see new places in the community is also like has been a nice little value add that I didn't really think think of like going into it that not only like interacting with the community, but that that would mean seeing new places and, and getting to, uh, again, meet meet really cool people and build build relationships within the community, whether that supports our business or not. I don't really care. That's what it's been about, though, is uh, is is just that sense of community. So awesome. Kevin, well, uh, let's yeah. wrap it up here. I'll give you the floor to kind of shout out um, Scape's website and then um, also any other thing you kind of want to shout out on like social media and all that. Yeah, well, social, we might have to launch some new stuff. So we'll hold <laughs> on that. But uh, the website is, is tried and true. That's been around for a little bit now. So Scape's Designs, so it's plural, S-C-A-P-E-S-D-E-S-I-G-N-S.com. Um, you can find us on there. Um, there's a quick little little like start your design process, which is really just a capture contact capture form. Uh, if anybody's interested, fill that out. It does come right to me. I'm the guy that would be reaching out to you. I always throw out. Um, people can always reach out directly on my cell phone. I don't mind throwing it out anymore because now it's a dedicated business cell phone line. So you, uh, if if people are going to try and spam me, you can try and spam me all you want. Uh, but my cell phone four eight four two four one six four zero two. Um, pretty good about answering that. If I'm not answering anytime between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m., I'm probably in a meeting. Um, and I'm pretty good about uh, about returning phone calls, texts, emails, whatever, right away. So, Cool. Cool, Kevin. I uh, appreciate your time, man. And I uh, look forward to getting this up there, getting this out there. And uh, thanks for jumping on with me. Yeah, this was awesome, Eric. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us, man. Really appreciate it.